Hi, and welcome to the I Meet Hotel podcast with industry updates, expert guests, and musings on what the future of travel and hospitality might look like. Every week, we'll bring you a new topic we find interesting through our work in this business with your hosts, Michael Ross and Christian Lipinski, and me, Rachel Bathgate. We also want to hear from you. If there's something you'd like us to talk about on one of our next episodes, email us at info at imeethotel.com or find us on LinkedIn at imeethotel. Hi, I'm Christian Lipinski, and I want to welcome you to another episode of I Meet Hotel, the podcast. Now, as we keep going with our podcast, I just want to thank all of our return listeners. We've talked about some really interesting subjects so far and plan on talking about some more. Now, our last episode, if you haven't heard it, was about localization. If you don't know what that is, we recommend you go give it a listen. Uh, We think it's a good one. We also have some exciting things to look forward to, an episode about insurance and safety with an expert in the field, and our upcoming iMeet Hotel event focusing on the Dock region. That event is going to look at post-COVID trends and whether or not uh, innovations that happened during COVID are going to stick around or we're going to go back to 2019. Go ahead and head over to imeethotel.com to find out more. So speaking of post-COVID, you may have heard that the CDC has relaxed its mask guidance in the United States. Now, this is just one of the signs of the state that the U.S. is in. But what's going on in Canada? And how is the hospitality industry in North America doing as a whole? This week, we are talking the return of travel to North America. So to talk us through it, we got another guest speaker for you today. Here joining me is Lauren Christie, Head of Business Development in North America for Bidroom. Now Lauren's got 25 years uh, of industry experience, 15 of those in leadership positions, and and lots of experience too in speaking, moderating, and even on the old TV box. Hi Lauren, thanks for joining us today. Before we start, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your background. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of those uh, 25 years was actually spent in the hotel industry. I was uh, a Starwood guy for most of Starwood's existence. Starwood Hotels was around from the late 90s uh, until uh, 2017, I believe, when it was taken over by Marriott. So I was with Star- Starwood for about 17 years. Then I moved over into the destination marketing world with Destination Toronto and now am doing my own business. And uh, one of the things that I'm doing as part of that is working with you good folks at Bidroom. So it's been uh, been a good ride. You've seen lots of things over the years in the in the yeah, industry. Oh yeah. So that's why I'm really happy to have you on board uh, here on the podcast with me today, uh, seeing your extensive background. Now, you joined us for the I Meet Hotel North American edition, uh, and there you told us a lot about success stories from North American hotels, what they learned during the pandemic, um, you know, the different innovations that they put in, and what worked and what didn't work. Uh, but, you know, we, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later in the episode, but it certainly hasn't been easy. Um, maybe you can kind of give us a little walkthrough on some of the key moments over, over the last few months that you see in Canada and North America as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to point out that the, the key moments in the last few months have been radically different uh, ex- for the experience between the United States and Canada. Mm-hmm. In the United States, as, as most people are aware, have they been gone very quickly with their vaccination efforts. So although they had a very, very tough time with COVID in terms of the hospitalizations and the number of deaths, uh, it was just awful in the United States. They have quickly rolled out their vaccination program to the point uh, where Joe Biden, the president, was on the other day saying it was time to take off your masks. 
you know, albeit with some restrictions still in place, but yeah. uh, the point being that they are rapidly moving uh, toward opening up. Mm -hmm. Domestic tourism numbers have just skyrocketed over the past month alone. Mm -hmm. um, you talk to travel agents who are looking at bookings for the future and Americans are ready to travel. And right. basically when the rest of the world is ready to have them, I think they're, they're gonna be there. Um, juxtapose that with Canada. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, Canada, we managed to to stave off uh, any great amount of, of deaths over COVID still brutal for us, of course. Um, but slow and steady, but it's slow and steady in the recovery as well. Mm -hmm. Meaning that we didn't have any uh, vaccine production happening here in Canada. So the rollout uh, has been quite slow compared to some of the other G7 countries. Mm -hmm. uh, so our population as of today was about 45% vaccinated. So we have a long way to go. Uh, and they're, the government is basically saying they're not really going to relax restrictions to any great extent until we're at about 70%. Mm -hmm. So we've got another good month or so uh, of, of, restrictions. Right. Our prime minister was on the other day and basically his his line was expect a one dose summer, which means domestic travel and expect a two dose fall, which means it won't be till the fall until we open up internationally. So right now, Canada is looking at more domestic travel. This is kind of where things are kind of going for this summer. Um, you know, there's the difference between the US, you know, they say uh, you can remove the mask now if you're vaccinated. Um, with Canada, is everything still closed? Do you still have restrictions, uh, hospitality, travel, things like this? Uh, what does that look like in Canada at the moment? Canada is right in the middle of a third wave yeah. uh, and quite severe, actually. And in some provinces, it's the worst it's been since this all started. So, yes, there are no no travel is allowed. Non-essential travel is forbidden right across the country. Uh, there are several provinces in the East Coast, for example, Nova Scotia, you couldn't get into if you wanted to, even if you were willing to do the quarantine that they've had in place all year, they sure. have closed the borders completely. Uh, and basically, people are being asked to stay at home right now. So we are hoping in early June that some of the provinces will be able to lift that. But at the moment, we are having out of control cases. And until people get vaccines and arms, everyone is you know, under stay at home orders, and a lot of things are still closed down. You know, a, a few months back, um, uh, Canada had, if you were traveling from overseas, that you had to go and check into, you know, a hotel for quarantine. Is this still the case now? Is this still it happening? is still the case. It's an incredibly unpopular uh, measure, but we have very strict quarantine rules. You have to do a two-week quarantine, and if you fly into one of the four airports that's accepting international travel, mm -hmm. you have to immediately go to a government-mandated uh, hotel, and you spend three days waiting for your negative uh, test results mm -hmm. to come back. Uh, and which if you get a negative, you can then uh, return home. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, and it's on the it's on your on your dime. So it was yeah. done to discourage travel and it has worked for a large part. Yeah, that's what um, I was going to ask. What, what does has that work? Has that, you know, to, uh, you know, it comes wants they, to dish the money out, you know? Yeah, they estimated around $2,000, I think is what you would yeah. expect. So clearly, you know, people going off on vacation, if they have to not only quarantine, but shell out some money, it's it's mm -hmm. discouraging them, which was the point of it. But I think you'll see the quarantine restrictions, hopefully once uh, vaccination passports, which, which are a popular idea among Canadians, um, I think you'll see them take off and hopefully those, those rules will be amended. Right. And, you know, I see a, uh, a lot of flare up about, you know, vaccine passports and things like this. Not that I'm going to weigh in one side or the other, cause all I want to do is present information, uh, through I meet hotel, the podcast. Uh, but for example, when you go to South America, you know, I went to Colombia, you have to get yellow fever. It's required. You got to have it in that passport to go there. 
Um, so vaccine passports are nothing new. It's been around for quite a while. Uh, and this is a little bit different uh, situation as it's a global situation. Uh, but, you know, on my side, I don't, you know, uh, you know, the, the vaccine passport's been, been around for a minute or two. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm not sure that uh, it's going to be bought in as much. But I guess time will tell. You know, we've been through this for a year. So that was my next question that I want to lead into, you know. Like I said, Colombia, you have to have the yellow fever vaccination before you go there. It's in a medical passport that's tucked in the back of your passport. Uh, from your point of view, how is North America's situation or issues are different from the rest of the world? Uh, so from the North American continent to the European continent, do you have any kind of comparisons between the two and what you see from, from, from your side of uh, the Atlantic there? Well, I think, uh, again, to, it, there's so many things that, that are a little bit different. You know, the European Union and a lot of the systems that they have in place make things, just to talk about the vaccine passports, right. for example, uh, again, uh, make things easier to coordinate. In Canada alone, uh, the provincial healthcare systems don't even have a way to talk to each other. So the vaccine passport issue here, although Canadians are largely in favor of it, uh, the logistics of doing it are are going to be monumental right. uh, and the states they don't even they don't even want to see a vaccine passport right. so that little issue is actually a huge one for for us here in north america and how right. that's going to work and how people are going to travel um, in between countries mm -hmm. clearly canada and the u.s themselves have a very special relationship uh, you know largest trading partners and there's a land border there that has been closed right. since march of 2020 uh, and that needs to open and the u.s is pushing very much for that to open uh, and the canadians right now are not ready for that so right. again in europe you have so many countries interconnected here it's it's you know those two uh sharing that border so it's a, it's a it's a little bit of a different scenario mm -hmm. um to get a little bit more micro uh, in terms of sort of experience um, and how business comes back. You know, North America, when you look at the hotel market, for example, North America's hotels, uh, we have a lot of what you might call big box hotels, large convention hotels, Vegas, yeah. Orlando, New York, Boston, San Diego, uh, Dallas, Denver, a lot of these big, big uh, convention cities uh, that have lived off convention business where they want you to bring 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people together. Yeah. Uh, and that's just not the type of business that's going to be the first returning for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, so whether you're in the US or Canada, I think North America uh, is going to be hurt, uh, particularly by the convention business not returning. You know, Europe will too, um, but they're structured differently. You don't have as many of those big giant hotels where people meet. Uh, whereas here, you're going to have hotels that traditionally could take, you know, 2000 people sleeping overnight and with the same wonder one roof and meet and feed under one roof and that business isn't going to be there. So uh, the money that these hotels are going to lose and have to try and figure out their way through is going to be quite mm -hmm. different in North America versus Europe. Oh, you know what that sound means. It's time to take a quick break for industry updates with me, Ray Bathgate. Here's what you should know for May 18th, 2021. Travel Tech Essentialist released a report called The State of Online Travel Agencies with full year 2020 results for 20 publicly traded companies with metrics like revenues, marketing, EBITDA, and more. Takeaways include that some travel companies saw their valuations fall by 60% in the first quarter of last year. And some companies have seen their share price go up by over 100% on average since March 2020. 
rate parity, meanwhile, has gotten more complex. This is in part due to the rapid price growth of MetaSearch driven by Google Travel in recent years. The website Triptease names MetaSearch as the battleground for rate parity for 2021. MetaSearch is an important channel for hotel marketers. Two out of three independent hotels receive direct bookings from MetaSearch engines, and 75% of travelers are believed to use them in their search process. Then, the Skift Loyalty and Subscription Summit, sponsored by Salesforce, brought together editors, analysts, and special guests. In this executive focus report, they asked questions like, will subscription foster stronger resilience for brands in the travel industry? Here, experts discussed the new frontier of subscriptions to define the new roles of loyalty going forward. And that's the main industry news roundup for now. I'm Ray Bathgate. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks, Ray, for the updates. All right, Lauren, let's get back into the topic. You know, are there any kind of governmental assistance or anything like this that you've seen, uh, you know, because you, you're talking, right, 2,000 rooms booked a night and then all of a sudden you have zero. Uh, and there's only so long that you can do that and actually keep your business. And so now we've been deep into a year here. Um, what does that look like on the governmental side? Um, you know, in the, the U.S., they had the, you know, the stimulus stuff, but, you know, you're talking about millions and millions of dollars of lost revenue. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, there's definitely things in the States that they've done. There's definitely things in, in Canada that they've done. For the most part in Canada, um, you know, the money that's been available has been there to kind of keep people getting an income through all of this. So people that hotel workers that were furloughed, yep. uh, can they get a portion of their income to keep them going? And, and that has that has existed and is, is going through the summer until September at this point. Um, but, you know, people in the industry are saying we need longer. It's going to take longer for, for people to, to work through all this. And then the other issue, a big issue with all that is it's fine to say that you're going to keep people uh, getting some money in. But a lot of people, you know, it's hard to not work for over a year. And, and there's not a lot of optimism in terms of some of these larger hotels coming back with full staff. So a lot of people have left the industry. They've gone and found other ways of employing themselves. And right. so we are going to get to a point where it's going to be extremely challenging from a training perspective, a staffing perspective. Yes, there are people who are ready and, and willing to come back to work, but a lot of people have left. So I think there's going to be a bit of a flip of a switch that sure. when business all of a sudden, okay, we're good, we're coming back, the hotels are going to be under understaffed and there's going to be a labor shortage and a training issue, which a lot mm -hmm. of the tourism um, governmental agencies in Canada have identified. So it's going mm -hmm. to be a, a challenging year still ahead in, in, in different ways. Sure. And that, that's what I'm hearing too a lot is, you know, how do you maintain a staff during a time, a time during this? Uh, I guess that brings me to another question is, is, you know, what have you seen with uh, hotels there in Canada? How are they keeping their staff? Are they able to keep their staff? Are they doing different things in order to keep them engaged? Uh, what have you seen? From a hotel perspective, sure. unfortunately, I, a lot of a lot of furloughed staff. It, yeah. it depends on the hotel company. It's interesting. Uh, you know, some people are keeping, you know, certainly there are sort of sales and marketing people. Uh, some hotels have just said, we're not going to bother. Other have, others have kept them on and are keeping them working uh, with visions of, of future business. Um, but in terms of operational staff, there's just no getting away from it. If the hotels are empty, the hotels are empty. 
uh, particularly in the urban settings, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think some resorts have actually fared better than they thought uh, due to the domestic business last summer and hopefully this coming summer as well. So that's a little bit of a glimmer of hope. And then the hotels that are being creative about it, of course, are you know transferring staff around, uh, leaving some of the urban centers to go out to their domestic uh, mm -hmm. resorts and help out. But uh, it's a little bit desperate. Um, sure. Other ones are keeping people engaged by, you know, taking the time to do training at home with them. So they're still on a payroll. The government furlough, uh, the government uh, intervention is helping, mm -hmm. uh, and keeping them doing some trainings to keep them engaged. It's really, right. it's really a, a challenge. Like, how do you keep these employees engaged while they're at home? And and it has been tough because. Yeah. It's not like a restaurant where you can keep some people employed doing takeout and delivery and all of that. It's uh, when the doors are closed, the doors are closed. Right. right. And I've seen that, uh, for example, we have a partnership with Hotel.School, which is a hospitality education. Uh, and I think it's some of those programs uh, I think um, hoteliers can actually use to keep their uh, employees engaged, give them something to work towards and to, you know, basically upgrade their, their, their profession, their careers. Uh, so I think there's a lot of tools out there that can be used during these times. Um, let's, uh, let's shift a little bit to, to the U S here. Um, because as you mentioned early in the episode, the masks are coming off, things are kind of opening up now, people are getting back to travel. What kind of trends are you seeing, uh, emerging there, uh, in the U S is it, is it believed to be more domestic or people, you know, flying off to other countries again, or, uh, what does that look like? I mean, I think people want to fly off to other countries and they're going to get ready uh, for that once the other countries are ready, willing and accepting uh, of them, which which we've seen, you know, Europe has indicated, European Union has indicated that be open to uh, vaccinated U.S. travelers. So I think all those plans are taking shape. And again, if you talk to travel agents uh, booking American customers, yeah, they're they're the fall is booming, but the, the domestic travel for the summer is booming as well. A lot of Americans um, wanting to hit the road, uh, want to get out, want to explore places and um, some of the more leisure oriented cities, I think, are doing really well. Like you, you, you watch just I was online today and a, a, call, a former colleague of mine that works in Spokane, Washington, uh, was announcing that her hotel was sold out for the first time this past weekend in uh, since the pandemic started. So, you know, there are definite signs, again, particularly in the leisure industry. And as I mentioned earlier, I think conventions and conferences uh, certainly moving quicker than they are here in Canada, but those yep. are going to take some time to come back because there are a lot of issues around duty of care and taking care of your conference attendees right. and whose responsibility it is and uh, a lot of stuff to work through. Yeah, I think that's important. I think, you know, it, it, it's nice to see the door starting opening up and uh, a whole industry slowly coming back to life, but also got to think about, you know, being cautious about this, these things, you know. Yeah, the vaccine uh, has been put out and people are taking it, but you know, it's not 100% vaccine uh, cases, there isn't a huge herd immunity and all these different uh, terminologies that are, you know, past, past my level of expertise. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I think focusing on, you know, still having a little bit of caution. Um, now, I think we should switch a little bit here. Now at the last uh, IME Hotel event, uh, you had some really good news to start out the event. Um, maybe we can talk about some of the success stories that you've seen uh, over the last year and what hotels have been doing, uh, I guess, while they were in hibernation. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's been some some really good things. I think it's allowed people to take the time to step back uh, and look at themselves and and see the ways that they they could improve themselves uh, for the better. And it could be as basic as you know hotels going under massive renovations. Should their ownership group have the money to do that? Which there are a couple of great examples. 
uh, here in Toronto that that's happened with the Sheridan Centre, for for example, for one is going through a major reno, just closed down for six months and will open back up in September or October of this year. Um, other hotels have rebranded, taken the time to, to regroup. And again, the one that I used on iMeet Hotel, you know, a, a great example is Sonesta Hotels and Resorts, which had about 100 hotels a year ago. And now is the company with 1,200 hotels. So they've taken advantage of this time um, to grow their brand and become uh, an actual well-recognized hotel brand in North America. Um, but overall, I'd say a couple of trends that we've definitely seen, which are great, is, you know, sustainability in terms of, of, you know, being uh, regenerative in their practices and their, and their suppliers. Uh, hotels are actually taking time rather than to just stick a green stamp on it to actually put their money where their mouth is and do the homework that's required so that they can actually be sustainable and help. And I think you've seen a number of uh, different hotels make some uh, strides in that. Preferred Hotels uh, launched about a month ago. They're beyond green. It's just a portfolio of 27 hotels, but ones that they say uh, exemplify sustainability in action. So um, that's been a great one. The other one, of course, diversity, equity, inclusion has been on everyone's lips. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily because of the of COVID, but what's happened is, you know, Black Lives Matter uh, took a spotlight and shone it on that area. And whether it's um, BIPOC or LGBT plus Q travel or whatever, Whatever the case may be, um, people are stepping back and realizing that whether it's in their hiring practices or the way that they market themselves in imagery, uh, they need to be more inclusive and they need to create a travel world that's open to everybody. And I think you're seeing some really great strides in that. And then again, just in general, in terms of themes and trends, you know, resorts haven't had a bad year. Luxury hotels, if you look at all the hotels in North America uh, that are slated to open over the next you know, 18 months, most of them are in their luxury category. Mm. Uh, people are interested in bespoke. They're interested in spending money where, again, you know, these hotels are sustainable, they're regenerative, and they don't mind spending a little bit more for it. So mm. there have definitely been some success stories, and I think it's going to be nice to see once we can get these second vaccinations, certainly here in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, to really see it open up and take flight. All right. So it seems like some of the stories uh, included focusing on human elements. So what do you think properties in North America can do for success? Well, I think, you know, we've alluded to it a little bit. I, I think, you know, they need to step back and they really need to look at their employees. They need to understand uh, diversity and inclusion uh, in terms of their hiring practices. They need to in, in terms of their training practices for frontline workers, especially, but all from management uh, down in terms of how to deal with guests as they move forward. Um, again, as we alluded to, I think, you know, the human element too is welcoming these employees back who have been not working for the last year, that they need to be retrained. They need to feel, you know, welcomed back and it's going to be hard. They're coming into a new world that's scary to them. You know, the people that are still working at the hotels have been trained as they go along and all the health and safety protocols. These people have to start from scratch. So there's going to be a lot of hesitation. There's going to be a lot of uh, unknown. Um, So in terms of the human element, I think really it's more important than ever they're going to have to focus on their employees and their guests at the same time. And one thing that I, you know, I've cautioned to people before, which I, um, I say is, you know, it's going to be an interesting balance. There are guests out there who are so anxious to go back to travel and have that wonderful experience that they've been dreaming of for, you know, a year. Um, But the experience might not be perfect. You know, the hotels, as we alluded to already or talked about already, 
They're going to be short-staffed. The training may be in progress. So it's going to be interesting. I think guests, we want people to travel. We want people to get out and help get these hotels back on their feet. But they might have to check a little bit of their high expectation at the door and be a little bit flexible and a little bit um, you know, understanding and be empathetic um, that it's hard for these hotels to get back into full gear. It just doesn't happen overnight. So it's going to be an interesting start back up uh, in terms of, yeah, guests, hotels, management, everybody kind of working and having a bigger picture of let's get this industry back on its feet. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, an excellent place to leave it for today, Lauren. So I want to thank you for your time uh, and I really appreciate it and have a good one. Thank you. You too, Christian. Cool. I think we'll wrap it up here for today. So to all our listeners, thank you for joining. We have another great episode planned for you. So watch this space. Remember to stay up to date with all our events by signing up to the I Meet Hotel mailing list and visiting us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Or hey, you can go old school. Email us at info at imeethotel.com. So today we talked, we questioned, we learned, and most importantly, we hope we gave you something to think about. Also, if there's anything you want us to cover in future episodes, we've got a podcast team that's eager to dive into some weird and interesting research topics. So get in touch with us and let us know if there's anything you want to know about hospitality. The I Meet Hotel podcast is a production from I Meet Hotel and Bidroom, the first subscription-based online travel community. Visit bidroom.com to learn more.